verses 11 and 12 at the start of our text in Colossians 2, suggests that the Christians in Colossae were under pressure from religious traditions. Religious traditions, because circumcision, verse 11, was a religious custom. That's interesting, isn't it, then, that, that Paul would be writing this scripture to defend these Christians from religious people and religious pressure. Verses 11 and 12 are also probably the hardest ones for us to wrap our heads around. And not just because the religious custom there is so foreign to us, but also because there's an interplay going on through this text between the literal meaning of some of these words and the deeper spiritual meanings that Paul is talking about. So let me try to clarify three words in these verses that probably cause us problems as we try to untangle these two verses. First of all, look at verse 11 and and that word flesh. Flesh. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. By flesh, Paul isn't talking about our, our literal body. Flesh is a metaphor often used in the Bible, and particularly by Paul, a metaphor for our sinful nature. Sinful nature. Every one of us has a sinful nature. And Paul calls it our fleshy nature. We are sinful, is what he means. All of us have a sinful nature. But through Jesus Christ, our sinful nature has been put aside. It's been dealt with. That's the meaning of verse 11 in terms of flesh. And that's what the word flesh means through this passage uh, to the very very last word in verse 23. The second confusing word is the circumcision word. <laughs> Let me explain that physically, just so we're clear as we begin. Circumcision is the physical cutting off of the foreskin of the penis. Ouch. And its significance is that circumcision had been given to Abraham long, long ago, way back on about page 12 of the Bible in Genesis chapter 17, if you want to follow it up. Circumcision had been given to Abraham as a sign by which he and his family and all his descendants could mark themselves to always remind themselves of God's covenant promises to Abraham, promises to bless him and multiply his family and and give them the physical land of Israel as an inheritance in which to live. So in that symbolic mark of physical circumcision, yes, literal flesh was put off, or cut off, we should say. It would seem then that Christians in Colossae, as Paul writes this letter, were under pressure from some of those Jews around them that they too should now become circumcised if they want to be counted among God's people. And so Paul writes to clear that up for them. They don't need to be circumcised. And his reason is that they've already been circumcised. Not by way of that old physical symbol, but by way of a spiritual reality. He's talking about a whole new sense of circumcision, and it's a, it's a spiritual circumcision. It's made without hands, as he says. And it is ours in Christ. In him, verse 11, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Physical circumcision cuts away a piece of foreskin. Spiritual circumcision cuts us free from our sinful nature. It sets us free. Verse 12. 
And in this is the mystery of the gospel. While we still know and and we still live and we still feel our, our sinful nature, God now sees us as having been free from that baggage. For all who are in Christ, as Paul keeps explaining in this letter, that is to say, to those who trust in this gospel that Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sin, they are now counted in God's eyes as if their their sinful nature itself has been discarded, cut off and, and thrown away. And we don't need a literal circumcision now to to symbolise that. Because literal circumcision was the symbol for something else. And there's a new symbol that Christ gave us in baptism as we move into verse 12. But again, we need to be careful not to get lost in this word either. There's a physical baptism in water that only points to, it's only a symbol of, the true baptism that has happened in us spiritually in Christ. Again, the concept that Paul's talking about there in verse 12 is is the spiritual outcome that is now true for us who believe. Having been buried with Jesus in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. We are baptised, and and again, the substance of that is Christ. So much so that the baptism Paul's now talking about in verse 12, well, it is the spiritual circumcision he was talking about in verse 11. There's a little phrase at the start of verse 12 between those two ideas that connects those two ideas. We have been spiritually circumcised, having been baptised. The burial that we go through and the raising to new life is what brings about the circumcision that's been made in us with without hands. You know, there's a lot of tangle in all of this, as I'm sure you've noted, between between the literal words that we're reading on the page and the spiritual truths that Paul's using them to describe. I do hope you are struggling with that tangle. I'd be I'd be I'd be worried, to be honest, if this was just reading straightforward to you, like, I don't know, cheesecake instructions or something. One, two, three, okay, eat it. This is meant to be tangly. This is meant to be heavy. These, these are the things of life and death. And the fascinating thing about all this interplay between the, the literal and the spiritual all the way through this text is that it's actually the spiritual reality that counts. Physical signs serve as a symbol for what is desired spiritually. It's a bit counterintuitive, isn't it? The physical, you know, just being a shadow of of the true substance, which is the spiritual. I mean, our brains just naturally like the tangible kind of things of life. We tend to think the other way around. But no, the spiritual is the reality that counts. And as the rest of the text now unfolds from those two tricky verses, factor in in this bit too while, while we're at it. It's not a physical death that we're talking about here. In our natural, sinful state, we are spiritually dead. Spiritually dead, verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. 
This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Our sin rendered us spiritually dead in God's eyes. Spiritually dead. Living in terms of flesh and blood by his grace and under his patience, but at a spiritual level, dead. Dead in our trespasses, verse 13 is is another way of saying dead in our sin. The uncircumcision of our flesh, another way of saying our sinful nature still kept us away from God. We were cut off from God and counted dead because of our sin. And what can those whom God has cut off do to reconnect themselves with him? What can dead people do to make themselves alive? Nothing, of course. Nothing. So God had to do it all for us. Look at the text again. God made us alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us, nailing it to the cross. God made us alive in Christ. And so this is the spiritual reality, brothers and sisters, that is now ours. By the power of the gospel, verse 12, we have been raised by the powerful working of God to new life. By nothing but faith in the gospel on our part. Nothing but faith in this gospel on our part. And and all of the, the powerful work on God's part. The same power of God that physically raised Jesus from the literal dead has raised us up spiritually, we who were once dead in our sin. And we are now, therefore, his people. We have been raised to life with him, verse 12. With him, verse 13. And from that spiritual truth, the the rest of the passage now just flows on to various other kinds of things that, that people might insist we must do as if to make ourselves right with God. More Old Testament customs and regulations as it happens, verse 16. Questions of food and drink, a festival, new moon, a Sabbath. Let no one pass judgment on you over such things. They were all just shadows, verse 17, of the things to come. And that thing has come. Once again, the substance belongs to Christ. Our faith in this gospel is all God asks of us to be made alive and to be made his. And faith... Faith leaves everything up to God, doesn't it? It leaves everything up to God and his power for us. Faith, really, think about it. Faith just says, I can't do it, God. I trust you to do it for me. The pressure being put on these Christians in Colossae that Paul writes to is that that they should fall back into trying to make themselves alive and and right with God. But that's flawed logic, Paul explains. It's futile. It's nonsense for people to talk as if we need to to do X or or to change Y or or to get Z right to to make ourselves alive. 
especially, of course, when we were all dead in the first place, the default state, we're dead. How could any of us do anything to make ourselves alive? And yet people do and will and still do and still will insist on that way of thinking and, and that way of approaching all of this. And, that, and they'll talk as if we will somehow be cut off from God if we don't follow their teachings and customs to make ourselves alive with God. But Paul is clear here. It, it's their way that would have us cut off from God. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Such people might raise any manner of things on the us side of the equation, but with no awareness in their thinking of the power of the gospel, the gospel that has already raised us from God's side of the equation. Such a view of things fails because it hasn't connected with the head, verse 19, the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. The tragedy in all of this is that it's, it's those people who, who are cut off from God and still dead in their sin. Those people pushing these customs and rules that we must follow. And they might have all the appearance of wisdom but it's just self-made religion. Self-made religion. And, and self-made religion cannot do anything, friends, to, to stop the power of sin that has rendered us all dead in our own sinful self. The power of the gospel is the only thing that can make us alive. It comes to us from God. None of this other stuff can make us alive because all this other stuff just comes from ourself, our own sinful, dead self. But through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Jesus from the dead, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses, by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Do you see then the, the freedom that, that the power of this gospel opens up for us? We don't need to do X or, or add Y or change Z to find life. We must only have faith in the power of God through Jesus Christ. None of this is to say, mind you, that, that we therefore now, you know, throw out every teaching. Oh, Jesus died for our sin. <laughs> let's, let's do whatever we want. No, brothers and sisters, we, we actually now pursue God's teaching, don't we? Just as Jesus called us to do as his disciples. Do you remember the end of Matthew's Gospel we were looking at a few weeks back? Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We have been made alive to be able 
to actually do this now, to, to be able to actually do good things and live God's way now as his people, as indeed we're going to see for ourselves in, in the second half of this letter. So what does change then as this truth works itself out in, in Christian life? Well, a couple of things change by this gospel, and, and both of them crucial. By the power of God in this gospel of Christ crucified for our sin, what, what changes now is our motive and our capacity, our motive and our capacity to, to live obediently and to please God. Our motive changes because we're no longer, you know, following rules and customs to, to try to make ourselves alive, as it were. We have been made alive in Christ by the power of God. Our motive for following Jesus' teachings is not, not to save ourselves, but purely out of love for what he has done, out of our hearts that, that are filled with thankfulness for this gospel that has already saved us and made us alive. Do you see the difference in motive? The power of gospel, it, it shifts our whole framework entirely. It, it creates in us the joy of obedience in our lives. And so to our capacity, our capacity to obey God changes along with that change because it's only from this heart of faith that we can live and please God in obedience to his teachings because otherwise, you know, without this power of the gospel, we would still be spiritually dead in sin and, and everything we might do, no matter how good it might look and, and seem to us, it would still be just dead and sinful. Only now can we live and actually obey So Paul wants us to be on our guard, and for very good reason. Because people who don't yet get this stuff, well, they still try to insist on us doing all those things that they come up with, doing things their way and by their motives, the dead way, trying to make ourselves alive by what we do. That, that's, their, that's their whole perspective, and that's what they would push on us. And oftentimes those people hold a lot of sway or influence. And oftentimes those people seem very religious and wise, and oftentimes they speak with an air of authority at us. Sometimes they may even have some kind of worldly authority over us. But not spiritually speaking, they don't. Spiritually speaking, if they don't have this faith we have, in the powerful working of God who raised Jesus from the dead, then then they are still dead. So how can they hold any sway with us? We are alive. Without this faith in Christ that we have, they are still stuck in the, in the uncircumcision of their sinful nature. They don't yet belong to God. They don't yet belong to this, this new body, verse 19, that, that we have been brought into. This is the power of the gospel. It makes dead people live. Since it is the power from, from death to life, and, and you know, the stakes could therefore not be any higher, 
Let me just catch it again for you from verse 13. Directly from the Word of God. This is how we become alive. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. It's as blunt and as plain and as deeply unpopular as that. You were dead in your sin. But God took your whole account of sin and and put it onto himself in Christ. And he put that sin to death in Christ's body. And so if you have faith in that gospel, then you are now alive. He has found you. He has cancelled your debt. And he has made you his. Don't let anyone try to hoodwink you that that you can do anything or or that you need to do anything to, to try to make yourself alive. God has done it for you. Anyway, I reckon this is about the hardest passage in the whole letter, by the way. And not just because of all that tangly interplay at the start between, you know, the physical and the spiritual things of circumcision and baptism and flesh. But even more so, I reckon, because well, because this scripture is teaching us that for us to have life, we've got to turn away from all, all the kind of things that we might have instinctively you know, wanted to try to do to try to get life and secure life for ourselves. And instead, we have to turn wholly and entirely to God and trust him wholly and entirely to make us alive and to trust wholly and entirely that he did that in this way. Christ crucified for our sin. If you've already come to put your faith in that gospel, then peace be with you. For all eternity, peace be with you. Frolic in this text and and the full assurance of your new life with God that the first half of this letter has been hammering over and over and over for you. By the word of God, you are alive. Marinate in that truth. Swim in that truth. Dive deep down into that truth. And look forward to the second half of the letter where we're going to start thinking about how, how we can now live as God's people. If you haven't yet come to put your faith in this gospel, and you can hear this promise from God in the passage about about being made alive, spiritually alive in Jesus Christ, and maybe it seems a bit cloudy because of those metaphors and stuff, but even so you can sense that somehow, somewhere, that there is light and truth and, and yes, life in these words here, then I tell you, just follow that sense. Follow that sense that you have. Life is being held out to you by the power of God who will grant it to you if you only just have faith in him through this gospel. Jesus died for your sin. Jesus died for your sin. If you accept that spiritual gift from God, then 
then the power that sin has held over you, the spiritual death that sin has held over you, will no longer have power over you anymore because you will be made alive in Christ by the power of God. You cannot find your way into this stuff. No no amount of rituals or teachings or traditions or obedience can, can help you make yourself alive. Only God can raise what is dead. So if you hear this scripture today and and you would have life, then then let me invite you into the gospel. Let go of everything else, everything that you you thought you should try or, or, or had to try, and just walk right into this life by faith. And the powerful working of God that raised Jesus Christ from the literal dead will make you spiritually alive with him. But don't take it from me. This is the word of God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you as always for this scripture and the privilege it is that we have this and can read your truths and your promises to us. Thank you for the truths woven through here in this passage today that that we have life, that we are yours in Christ. Help us to lock that in, Father, and help us to to therefore steer clear of that temptation that's always there to, to you know, put our hope in our own efforts. Father, for those of us with faith, Help us to remain clear and secure in that faith, in this gospel and your power for us. Father, for those who have not yet discovered this gospel, I pray that you would help them to do that, to discover this gospel truth, to put their faith in it and to have life with us. And all of us, Father, to have life with you. In Jesus' name, amen.